Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. So let's look at together Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. We've been looking at the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, we've seen the first church, which was a church in Ephesus, which was a church that was sound in doctrine, but it was deficient in love. We saw the church in Smyrna, who was poor but rich, and God richly blessed that church. There was a heretical church of Pergamos, and, and then later we saw uh, the false prophetess arise in Thyatira, as well as the church in Sardis that was living on yesterday's victories, but it was really a dead church. And, and so we come today to Philadelphia, only one of two churches that Christ really has nothing bad to say, uh, but is a, a church that He encourages, and He just uh, praises for their faithfulness. And so we find that ourselves really wanting to be numbered among these in the church in Philadelphia. And this church is really a throwback to all the good things that was in the first and second churches. And uh, this uh, was a church that wasn't censored, but uh, it was instead it was commended. It, there was no condemnation there. And so this, this church is said, first off, it was weak, but it was through that weak weakness we find it was wonderful. And it was given great praise from the Lord because it was a church of revival. And what a difference a church of revival can make, amen? And I, I think about all the, the realities that we face today, and it's easy to become discouraged, and it'd be easy to become down. But when we come to the church of Philadelphia, all that they came through and what they grew out of, that church in Sardis, what we see is a church here that is ready to serve the Lord, a church that is full of revival. It's cast off the rags of ritualism. It's cast off the rottenness of, of legalism. And it said, listen, we want to serve the Lord. And it had, had this idea of the Lord's return was heavy upon it. And so we see here that the Lord stands before this church, starting in verse number 7, and we see that He has this great opportunity to commend this church and give them a fresh vision for what lay ahead. And so let's look there together in verse number 7 as we look at this passage tonight. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Isn't that good? What a way to start the, 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 the verse tonight. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I, will, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, 
I come quickly. Hold fast that which, uh, excuse me, hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down from heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this passage, for this church. Lord, uh, what a tremendous blessing it is to read of a church of revival. And God, may you find in us, Lord, a church of revival, a church of uh, just sincere passion. And though the world may look upon us and see we are weak and frail, we are reminded, Lord, that through our weakness, Lord, your grace, your strength is revealed mighty. And so, God, may you get the glory here tonight as we just get into your word. And may you help us to listen and hear the words that Jesus has said. In Jesus' name, amen. As we see here, I want to just begin with just looking at the church here tonight as we look here at this church in Philadelphia. The name Philadelphia, as many of us know, means brotherly love. And our Lord selected that church to describe the kind of church aid that, that began somewhere around the year 1750 and it began to taper off around the, uh, the early 1900s. Just about as Sardis came out of Thyatira, so we see this Philadelphian age come out of Sardis. And remember, Sardis was that dead and dying church, but when the Word of God became to go, began to go forth and, and uh, in that time, in that era of Philadelphia, what we see is that people began to have a revival of spirit because they got into the Word of God, and the Word is alive. Amen? It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I'm telling you, when we feel dead or discouraged, we can go to the Word and find hope and renewal once again. And that's exactly how, what, what began this revival period in the church in Philadelphia. And now, remember, the Reformation church, as we saw last time, became, uh, was this dead and cold state church, was what it grew out of. And Philadelphia, though, was marked by a church of vitality and of uh, a church of real life. Now, very quickly, let's look at the place here, because Philadelphia was located near this, in the center of Greek civilization. It was founded about 189 years before Christ. And the city had a great influence on the area, this area of the ancient world. And I know that's, that map is a little bit small, and I think I've got a, a, a pointer here. And so we, here we have Philadelphia here. Here's Sardis right here. This would be Patmos where uh, John was located as he was given uh, this vision from the Lord. And so we see this, this church in Philadelphia uh, that was really marked by this vitality of life. And the city had an opportunity to influence much of the area of the ancient world. And this church was a very vital church in that day and age. And it was even in the day and age in which it represents as well. Because Philadelphia was one of those, uh, was, uh, became an independent Christian city until the close of the 14th century when it was conquered by the Turks. Great church, great city that God used in a mighty, mighty way. Let's look at the power very quickly that God talks about here, uh, that uh, as we see here in verse number 7, uh, as He talks about this church. So as he, as he does so, we see that Christ speaks of this church. He gives them a, really a fresh vision of His power. Let's look here in verse 7. He says, These things saith He that is holy, that is true, He that hath the key of David, He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Now we're going to look at that in just a minute. But let me just get, kind of get a big, big bird's eye picture here of what's going on. 
The Lord has given them a brand new vision of who He is, His attributes, His resources, His prerogatives, and they see the King in all of His beauty when Jesus steps out here. And I'm telling you, when we come to the Word of God, I, my heart is that God would help me to reveal Christ to you. Listen, this is not about lifting up a man, but I want to lift up Jesus Christ. Because if we don't lift up Christ every Sunday, we're in trouble. Listen, if we don't lift up Christ in our community, we're in trouble. Our community's in trouble. And so thus it is that God calls us to continue to, pro to proclaim this glorious news that Jesus is the Lord. He's the Lord of the, that the earth needs today. He is the Lord that the lost needs today. And it is in this church age that God worked in a thrilling, thrilling way. It was in this age that God produced those revivals in Europe, in the British Isles, and in America. And these revivals, in turn, produce what is known as what, uh, what is the modern missionary movement today. Matter of fact, today, even our missionaries that we are supporting, these missionaries that we uh, love to have come into our church, the missionaries that we're, we are praying for on a weekly basis, these missionaries, uh, we, we see uh, were, uh, this idea of missions work was revived in this time period in which uh, the Lord brought great revival. It was this moving of the Spirit of God on the part of His people that caused, for example, one English shoe cobbler to become so burdened for the lost in India uh, that in 1793 he became the very first foreign missionary out of, uh, out of his area. If you were to enter his little workshop there, you would find the tools of his trade, but you would find uh, there on his bench a book or two, his Bible, a Dutch grammar, a copy of Captain Cook's Voyages, but the thing that would stand out the most would be a map, a homemade paper and leather map he had on the wall behind him. So as he cobbled shoes, William Carey, his thoughts were far away over the seven seas. He had seen the king. He knew what it was to know God's sufficiency, and as a result, his heart was burdened for the loss of the world. You see, that's what happens when we know the Lord. When we really get a picture of the greatness of our God, we're not satisfied just to keep it contained within. We've got to send it forth. We've got to shout it on the mountains and share it with all the world. And so on May 31st, 1792, Kerry preached a famous sermon in Nottingham, England. It was entitled, Lengthen Thy Cords and Strengthen Thy Stakes, out of Isaiah 54. And in these words, as they poured forth, they became uh, the, really the sounding board for what God would do in his life. And his message so deeply impressed the delegates of Northampton, uh, Northamptonshire Baptist Association that they sent him for, forth as the very first missionary from the society. And so Carey became this very first missionary. And he went to India. And there in India, he flung himself into the task and he started a factory and he learned a dozen languages. He became a professor of Bengali and Sanskrit and Maratha. And he uh, sounded the gospel across the length and breadth of the land. And he built one of the finest colleges in the country. He produced a, a wonderful translation of the Bible. He hired missionaries. He hammered at India's heart. And he continued and he continued and he continued. Listen, the vision of who Christ was had given birth to the vision of the need in the crowds. So William Carey, it was, he wasn't the only missionary born out of this age. And I love, I love the quote that you see on the screen, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. 
Man, what a stirring thing the Lord used this man's life. And man, I just hope that God would help us to have that kind of faith and help us to have that kind of vision and that kind of sight of who and how great our God is so that we can say, listen, we need a missionary in France. No problem, God will supply one. Amen? Lord, we need a missionary in South Africa. No problem, He'll supply one. And if, that's, and if I'm the one, Lord, I'm willing to go because you're big enough. Listen, this time of the open door is uh, we see William Carey uh, began to open the door and young people whom the Spirit of God touched, we see uh, just were, was willing to follow the Lord. The Bible says in verse number 8 here, he says, I know thy works, behold, I have set before thee an open door. This was a time of a great open door. And this open door found men like Adoniram Judson and David Livingstone and Jonathan Goforth and literally thousands of other people going out to Africa and China and Japan and Korea and India, South America and everywhere around the world. Listen, it's a result of, of what God was doing in people's lives that even today, that America is what it is today because they got a good picture of who God is. You know, when we have a proper view of God, we have a proper view of the world. We see a great need for the salvation of souls. We see the urgency of the hour. And we see the darkness in the land that can only be put out by the light of the world. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let me tell you, why is this world so messed up? Because the light's gone out. So many places the light has gone out and, and we need missionaries on the field, but we need missionaries in our own backyard. You see, with a proper view of God, we find that the Lord is dependable, that a man can stake everything he has on the Word of God. We can say, Lord, you're mine. I'm willing. And let's look at the character uh, here that is represented. And first off, of Christ. And that's represented in verse number 7. As we look a little bit more detailed in some of these things that he describes here, he says, first off, he that is holy. There's four aspects of Christ's character that were revealed to Philadelphia that I think are important. Remind, remember, our Lord is holy. He is high and holy. He is lifted up. He is the one that we worship. He's not my homeboy. He is my high and holy God. I tell you, we ought, to, we ought to bow before Him, worship Him, and lift up His name in a wonderful way. I'm grateful. The Bible says that He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But listen, He is much higher than me. So it's good to be reminded, though, that God also says this in 1 Peter 1.16. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And so he reminds this church and he says, listen, don't forget that holiness, God, I've called you to be holy because I am holy. Just as God is holy, He wants us to reflect His nature and His character in the world. And so may God help us to be a peculiar people, a people called out from among this darkness that is designed to shine the light of the gospel into this world. And so we see Philadelphia was a church that was separated out of darkness and was a light in their, in their time. They were a church that was holy. Secondly, we see in this, uh, in this passage, he see he that is holy. Secondly, he that is true. In several passages, our Lord is referred to as truth. One uh, very popular example is John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Dr. J. Vernon McGee uh, said this about this, true means genuine, with an added note of perfection and completeness. 
Moses did not give the true bread. Christ is the true bread. From this we see that Christ is not only uh, truth, but the ultimate truth. He's everything we need. No truth will be given to this world other than the truth revealed in Jesus Christ. And that's what we've got to realize. There's not multiple ways to Jesus. There's one way. And, and I, I know that here at Hillside Baptist Church we believe that, but I'm, sometimes I just want to repeat it because it's easy when we get out there and we get into the world and, and, and we hear all the, the fallacies, even people who cloak themselves in sheepskin, and they say, listen, I, I believe Jesus, but there's other ways that are good too. The Bible says there's only one way. And that's why we're sending missionaries. That's why God is calling missionaries. That's why God is saying, listen, it's imperative even now that we continue to tell the whole world that there is a, the way is Jesus Christ and there's no other way. The third thing we see here about Christ and His character is says, He that hath the key of David. Excuse me. I think I'm going to... So I'll try not to. All right. Now, this is an, uh, a reference to the authority of Jesus. Eventually, we will see this uh, authority of Jesus in person, a very visible way as Jesus sets up a thousand-year reign here on this earth, and He sits on a, in a, uh, as a literal king over the world. And so what a wonderful and glorious day that will be. But I remind you, even still, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18, He said, all power is given unto me. You know what He's saying? All authority is given me, therefore go. Therefore, proclaim. Therefore, share the good news. Because church, let me tell you, it's not for us just to keep and to hoard, but to share and to proclaim. And God wants us to realize that that's what made Philadelphia so great, was they were not a church that just kept it, but they shared it. And they proclaimed it to the ends of the world so that every man and woman and boy and girl that they ever met would have the opportunity to know that there is a God who loves them. He goes on and he says the fourth thing here. He that openeth... And no man shutteth. He had the key, and he opens, and no man shutteth, and he shutteth, and no man openeth. The Lord Jesus gave his disciples this command to go, and, on, uh, of, uh, and it was based on that basis of all power is given unto him. And so the doors of opportunity for preaching the gospel are controlled by Jesus Christ. And listen, we're afraid sometimes of Vladimir Putin. We're afraid of Xi Jinping. Or we're afraid of these uh, leaders that are over us and these dictators. and, 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 And we're afraid that they'll close the door of the gospel and preaching the Word of God. But let me tell you that there is no door that can be opened or closed without the Lord's willing. And so this is, this is true, especially of the missionary movement in the church in Philadelphia, but it's also true in our day today. And so if God leads you, remember, remember that it's God's leading, God's going to open the door, and you can trust Him that He said, Lo, I am with you. You're not alone. Man, what a great news. Man, what a glorious news that, that this is the God that we serve today. He is the God who is holy. He is the God who is true. He is the God who has all the authorities. He holds the keys. He's the he's a God that opens the doors. Secondly, verse number 8, we see the character of this church. As Jesus Christ reveals this to us, He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Now in this, this age was not an age of the megachurch. It seems like today we have megachurches, and, and uh, we, it just seems like the, the size of the churches get larger and larger. But this age was an age of small churches, smaller congregations who, who were weak from the world's point of view, 
They were unimportant to the world, but the Lord saw their weakness and He saw their willingness. And because of their willingness, He opened doors of opportunity that no power on earth could ever close or ever shut. Listen, we want the, the, sometimes we want the doors of opportunity to open, and then we see that God's going to make the way, therefore I will obey. But see, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so God says, listen, you walk, you follow, and I will provide for you. You know, we look at faith promise missions and, and our giving, and sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm going to get my budget out, and I'm going to get my calculator, and I'm going to say, okay, I can do this and, and this, and, and then I'm going to figure this out. You know, what the reality is, is faith means, Lord, I'm going to trust you, that I'm just going to let you lead, and then you're going to open the doors of opportunity for supply. I'm going to trust you. Be faithful. Make the first move, and the doors will open. Hugh Latimer was a man that was known as one of the most honest men in England. He was an idol of the common people. He was a bishop of the high church. And on top of that, he was a chaplain to the king. He ended his life by being burned at the stake in Oxford for his refusal to bow to the whims of the court. On no account would he change his, uh, his coat to suit the variations of the religious climate. He stayed steadfast, and he was burned along beside Bishop, uh, Bishop Ridley. And at his feet were persecutors, and, and as they lit those, uh, the, the kindling beneath his feet, Latimer turned to the Bishop of London, and he said, We shall this day, my Lord, light such a candle in England as shall never be extinguished. Now that's a tremendous testimony but Hugh Latimer was led to a man who was a nobody. He was a man who was really of no account. He was simply known as Little Bilney. Bilney had found Christ by simply reading the writings of Erasmus. And at the time, as the Lord, uh, at that time, Hugh Latimer was a very famous preacher in Cambridge. And Bilney went to hear him preach. And the Lord laid upon his heart. He said, listen, I want you to, I want you to preach to Latimer. I want you to share with Latimer the truth of the gospel. He was Father Latimer at the time, and as a result, Bilney went to the church and was praying through his sermon, and at the end of the message, Father Latimer was walking down the aisle, and as he walked down the aisle, Bilney grabbed his hand and said, Father, he said, I need to confess my soul to you. And so uh, Father Latimer, he guided him into a back, the back room and put him in the confessional booth and, and Bilney began to share with him uh, that he had a longing in his soul that no priest, no penance, no church could ever satisfy. But when he put his faith in Jesus alone, that that peace that settled in his soul was something that passed all understanding. And that day, as Latimer heard little Bilney uh, just share the gospel of Christ, he accepted Jesus himself. Listen, God used little Bilney. God used this nobody. God used this man of no circumstance and, and no great uh, uh, position to lead a man like Hugh Latimer. And God used Hugh Latimer to reach thousands. We may be a Bilney, but will we walk through that door of opportunity when God lays it open? You see, by the world standard, we may be feeble. But when it's wedded to the power of God... Through faithfulness, through a willingness, the doors open wide because the saint is under God's control. When Paul was in his ministry, he had confessed, 
Lord, there's, uh, he just asked the Lord, Lord, there's a thorn in my side. There's something that is ailing me. And he just asked the Lord to remove it from him. Three times he asked the Lord. And finally the Lord answered in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. He said, For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said this, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what he said? I would rather suffer and know the power of God than have perfect health and have perfect wealth and have all of these things that are perfect in this life and miss the power of God in my life. You know what he said? Lord, I'm a willing vessel. Whatever you, wherever you lead, I'll go. Lord, whatever you will. God, that's what I want from you. Lord, I'm just willing. If you'll let me, God, I'm willing. That was what Paul was saying. Now we also see the character of the lost here in verse number 9. He said, Behold, I will make of them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Now in any church, even good churches, there's some that are arrogant and proud and far from the truth. And the Lord speaks to uh, these, this remnant that's there and He encourages them and He says, listen, these may be trying to discourage you and these may be trying to bring you down and these may be trying to, to drag you through the mud, but I remind you that one day I am the righteous judge and I see all things and you just got to trust me, they will bow. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that one day every knee shall bow of things of heaven, of things of earth, of things under the earth, and every tongue confess that the Lord is, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, this, this little clique of ungodly men in the church that despised those who were true to the Scriptures and to the Lord. And the Lord said, listen, I won't forget and so Joseph found this to be true in his day when he uh, uh, was, was here on this earth in Genesis. And we see that Joseph's life was just like that. And there came a day when those that mocked him one day bowed before him. Church, let me just encourage you. There's going to be some that mock you. There's going to be some that try to ridicule and shut you down. But I just tell you, listen, just keep your eyes upon the Lord. He, is, he alone is worthy. Verse 10, let's look at the commendation here. He says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience... I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So here we see Christ testify His love for this church, even though they had hardships. We see He loves them. And isn't it good to know that when we enter into hardships in life, it's easy to begin to doubt that God loves us. But God loves us. Even and especially in the difficulties, in the trials, when you're trying to minister through COVID for two and a half years and you're still wearing a mask. I think I would be ready to, to have a, a burning uh, of masks at this point. Listen, he commends them for their patience. Praise God. Amen. Patience is defined as forbearance under suffering and endurance in the face of adver adversity. They were patient despite persecution. Despite the problems, they continued. And patience is one of the most needed virtues in our time today because as we've noticed, things are not getting progressively better. Amen? They, things seem to be continually, progressively getting worse. But we have a God who still loves us. We have a God who still walks beside us. And, and James, he commends those saints of God who demonstrate great faithfulness. He says in James 5.10, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. He says, look at those. He said, this is your example. Just continue to be faithful. 
This idea of uh, suffering long is something that is produced, Christian, when we walk in the Spirit and not in the lust of the flesh. And so we see in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's that idea of suffering long is patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And so we see that's part of that fruit that is uh, produced by walking in the Spirit. It's evidence of a person's relationship with Christ. And so as he commends them for the patience, he's commending them for their desire to walk in the Spirit. May that be our desire. But look at the promise that he gives his church. Because this church is given a tremendous promise and one that, that I just, I'm so excited to be able to read in my Bible. Every time I come to this passage or other passages uh, like it and I ponder the words of Christ here, I am so thankful for this promise here. He says, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. As this promise, we look at this, we see this in Philadelphia, but it has a broader implication as well, because it, this promise indicates uh, there's a trial of universal extent. Look a little low, a lower. It says, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And so we see here that this is an assurance to the church as a whole that it will be kept from the hour uh, of, the, uh, uh, of temptation, that great tribulation. In, in other words... The rapture will precede the time of great tribulation. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. We see this in, in Revelation 3.10, that He talks about this, Keep thee from the hour of temptation. I'll remind you, and, and when you turn the page to Revelation chapter 4, we see that, Jesus, uh, that John was uh, snatched up and he was, uh, was moved from an earthly vision to a heavenly vision. And this again is a picture of what God will do at that moment when that trumpet shall sound in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we shall meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And the Bible says that we shall be raptured before that time of tribulation. And so we see that in Revelation chapter 4 as well, that there are the four and twenty-four elders that fall down and worship at the throne. We see that they are already there present. There's not something, there's no, no one lacking, and thus we are all together there before the throne of God. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? I'm telling you, church, when I look at this old world and I see the things that are shaping up, I don't have to buy a tribulation preparation kit. Amen? I'm going to leave that for somebody else. I'm just going to keep trusting the Word. I'm going to be sharing the Word. I'm going to be saying, Lord, help me to be found faithful in the day in which you blow that trumpet and I get to meet you in the sky. Man, what a glorious day that's going to be. And he gave this church, he gave Philadelphia, this church that was alive, this church that was on fire, this church that was going and telling and sharing, this church that was weak and feeble in the world's eyes. He told this church, listen, don't worry, I'm coming for you. Man, church, don't get discouraged. He's coming for you. Then we may live in an age, and this may be the season in which Jesus comes. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. But let me tell you, don't be discouraged. Don't be run down. Don't feel like this world is pressing in upon you because we serve a God who can. We serve a God who does. We serve a God who is. Amen? And I just want to encourage the church today because I know that Satan is on the tack, but we serve a God who, can, who is. I remind you what he says in our time of temptation even now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such is this common to man. You know what? You know what he's saying? He's been there. He's done that. And he said this, And God is faithful. 
who will not suffer you to be tempted about that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Listen, God uh, does not permit any temptation without giving the power to overcome it. This church was feeble, but was faithful. And it was mightily used of God. Now let's look finally at this, this call that we have here. In verses 11 through 13, in this final thing here. First off, hold fast. You know what he said? He said, don't give up. Verse 11, behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast. Don't give up. Be not weary in well-doing, for ye shall reap if you faint not. You know what he says, church? Don't give up because this Christian life is a battle. And if you've ever been in battle, you know what it is to grow weary in the midst of the battle. And you know what it is to be run down and you feel like your energy is drained and you can't go on any farther, any further. And you, you just can't do anything but look up to God and say, Lord, help me in this hour of temptation. Help me to have the strength. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through 18, he gives us the tools to use in this battle so we can be overcomers. All too often, lately, there's that spirit of discouragement that people are struggling with and God's people are, are just feel way down. It's not, not necessarily uh, with people uh, uh, everywhere, but I sense a lot of God's people today uh, when I uh, look at uh, pastors or, or missionaries or those on the field, oftentimes I just, they just, uh, you just sense that burden where they just feel so weighed down. And I urge you, Come back to that place where God is your refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Let us hold fast to the faith. Let's hold fast to that profession and remember that we are overcomers. We're on the victory side. Secondly, he says, he points at the reward. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall no, go no more out, and I will write upon them the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my uh, new name. This church in Philadelphia was a church of little strength, but God still used it. And God, and, but that is really, we, we see this testimony that they were a church of little strength. Listen, that's all God needs. It just has, needs a willing heart to say, listen, if he says he could take the faith of a grain of mustard seed and he could move mountains, what can he do with a life that just says, Lord, I'm not much, but I'm willing? Lord, I, I, I can't sing. Lord, I, I can't hardly stand up and talk in front of people, but God, I'm willing, whatever you want, just be used of you. Like Isaiah, when he met with, with the Lord, he said, Lord, hear my eyes, send me. Whatever you want, Lord, whatever your purpose is, God, I'm willing. And he marks them not as... People who are defeated, but overcomers. Thirdly and finally, we see this call to respect. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. You know, God calls us to listen and heed, and He says this after every church. He says, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. So many times we hear, but we don't listen. Husbands, we're a great example of that. My wife will say something, and I'll say, what'd you say? She said, you were staring at me. I said, it didn't matter. It didn't click. Nothing happened. Some of you ladies out there are saying, amen. I don't know what it is. It's a gift and a curse. I don't know what it is. During the days of the Nazi air raids over Britain, the Royal Air Force or the RAF was all that stood between the people and the bombs that would inevitably find their way to its victims. 
In one lonely RAF outpost, there was a group of fighter pilots and they were gathered together in the mess hall. It was a scene not like what you'd find on Pollywood where, there's, uh, where they're joking around and they look clean shaven and they look nice, but instead it was a scene that was repeated often. These men were worn out. These men were uh, fatigued. They were dirty. They were disheveled. They, their eyes were bleary. Their beards had grown, uh, had, had grown out on their chins and, and they, you could see them dozing in corners and, and, in, and just in their chairs, just falling asleep, eating as they were trying to just snatch a moment of relaxation before they would be called again, once again to the skies uh, to to fight off the Nazis. Suddenly, a buzzer sounded. The announcer's voice boomed. Bandits at 15,000 feet over P-25. Over. At once, the pilots were on their feet. They were racing for runways. The squadron leader paused just long enough in order to bark into the intercom. Message received and understood. Out the door they went. Today, we feel a lot sometimes like that uh, RAF pilot we're worn out. We're doing our best to get the message out. And maybe we feel like our, our hands are feeble and our, they're hanging down and our hearts are heavy from the many attacks. And yet I can hear the message that booms over the intercom. Two million are lost over Paris. Over. Who's willing to say, Lord, message received. Lord, I'm willing to go. Lord, send me. How many will hear that call? How many will put their hands over the ear and find a dark corner and just wish somebody else would take care of it? How many will see that there is a mighty God who goes with us and through every door that opens, there is a mighty God that never forsakes us. There is a mighty God that goes with us to give us strength in the midst of the battle. And I just want to encourage you tonight, church, and though there may be times where our hearts are heavy, and though there may be times where we feel feeble, I remind you that our God is still God. And He's still is calling out, will you hear it? Will you obey it? Will you know it? Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And He offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?